4: San Francisco 49ers. They came out of Monday night not only with a loss but a potential concussion for Brock Purdy. He's in concussion protocol. His status for week 8 against the Cincinnati Bengals is in question. Me and Vish today we're going to be talking about the quarterback situation, breaking down the loss again and then looking forward to what is now an intriguing week 8 matchup with potentially Sam Darnold under center all after this. Welcome back, everybody, to the program. We've got a nice, uh, you know, fun Wednesday evening show. This one was actually going to happen last night. Instead, we pushed it back to today, and guess what? The 49ers blessed us with some news because Brock Purdy has entered concussion protocol. And, I mean, that's a huge, huge storyline. We'll get to the game in a minute, but because that was there, you know, today, want to get your take, you know, on the whole thing when you heard about it, especially you see when it occurred in the game and things like that. What do you think about the concussion news for Brock Purdy?
2: Yeah. So at the point in the game that it happened, I was actually watching the Manning cast and they actually did point out the hit on the quarterback sneak on third and one. They were like, Ooh, he really got smacked. And they were surprised that they ran the quarterback sneak again because of the hit that he took. And once he took that hit, it was a brutal hit to the head. He seemed to shake it off. There didn't seem to even be any reaction from him that would get the independent arbitrator that's, sitting in the stadium that's there just to pick out the players that are showing concussion-like symptoms and get them out of the game. Um, There was no opportunity to even do that. And once that happened, he did not play very good either once the concussion happened. And so I was shocked that nothing was there on Monday and Tuesday. And the fact that it only came up on Wednesday is a little bit worrisome for his status against the Bengals because Whether Brock Purdy has played great according to some in yesterday's or two days ago's game and whether he's played poorly according to some in the last two weeks, the 49ers need him um, to win. And so definitely if he's in protocol on Wednesday, it's not necessarily looking encouraging for his status on Sunday against the Bengals and they definitely need him for that game
4: no you're right i mean this is probably you know the toughest game the 49ers have been through two tough losses now you don't want to make it three before the bye week the 49ers what they've done in the past right you look at the past two seasons they faced adversity in that mm-hmm. first half of the season before kicking it off this year is where people thought it was going to be a different storyline the 49ers start 5 and 0 similar to 2019 when they started 8 and 1 But now you've dropped two in a row. You dropped three in a row going into the bye week. You're on a downward trajectory coming out into the second half. That's not exactly what you want. Um, Whereas, you know, you're six and two. You're one of the best teams in the NFL going into the bye week. That's a lot, uh, you know, that's a different story for sure if you're able to rebound. And Brock Purdy, his his health is integral to this. I tweeted out earlier today that I thought it was going to spark intriguing quarterback debate if Brock Purdy was out. Not because I think that there's going to be any controversy on who's the starter, but so many people have had questions or comments on the quarterback debate that another guy could come in and play just like Purdy has. Well, you're going to get your answer here because if Sam Darnold comes in and he somehow lights it up, well, you know that's that's interesting. But if he doesn't, then you're going to start to see you know the disparity between Brock Purdy and the other quarterbacks, especially a guy with this uh, you know a talented like physical talents that Sam Darnold has. It's going to be an interesting uh you know question nonetheless but you're right it is a concern especially because it happened Monday this is the first day you are hearing back from the team and they're saying it's a concussion concussion like symptoms Adam Sheffer said earlier today only 25% of P, uh players have come back from the injury to play the next week and mm-hmm. moreover Brock Purdy doesn't get an extra day of rest he it's, it's a it's a short turnaround from a Monday to a Sunday we'll see what the 49ers do
2: yeah, 100%. And I think it's a difficult matchup for Sam Darnold to just come in on a week because the Bengals are coming off of a bye. They're obviously going to be healthier. Luana Rumo is a very creative defensive coordinator. And so it's a tough defense to prepare for. I think with the 49ers, a multiple fronts, they have a good front with Trey Hendrickson, Sam Harvard, DJ readers, a terrific player. Jermaine Pratt is criminally underrated. Logan Wilson is very, very good as well. So there's a lot of good players on the Bengals' defense. And when you look at, you know, the way that the fact that the 49ers haven't necessarily been able to run the football too well over the past couple weeks. And sure, Cincinnati hasn't had too much success stopping the run so far this season, but I do think that it this game somewhat matches up favorably for them to be able to stop the run, especially if Trent Williams doesn't play. And so, yeah, I think there's obviously there's worry about Brock Purdy, his long term health. You would like him to come back, be healthy, Um, especially because I thought he was having a strong game uh, until this concussion occurred um, versus the Vikings. Like I really thought he was playing well through that game. And then this happened. And then he obviously had the ugly turnover to finish it, which, you know, turned that game from good to bad. And so they definitely need him back. And I'm not too confident. Like you said. A lot of narratives will be found out. A lot of narratives will be proven right or wrong based on how Sam Darnold plays because we know Sam Darnold's an objectively bad quarterback with talent. Um, And if he's able to play pretty well with the 49ers surrounding cast and with Kyle Shanahan, then perhaps the prevailing opinion that any quarterback can get it done in this system, it'll turn into a ratatouille, anyone can cook kind of statement with anyone can play quarterback for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, so, I mean, that that definitely could come out. You talk about the Bengals. They're a team that's somewhat the opposite of the 49ers. You start off really slow, but they've got a young, a lot of young pieces and new pieces on that defense to replace, you know, uh, uh, departing starters. Uh, you know, you, they lost Bates, both of their safeties. Von Bell. Bell and Jesse Bates. You have new guys coming in. I mean, Dax Hill's gotten a role there, um, but it's not only him. I mean, you got a young corner and DJ Turner kind of playing pretty well recently uh, in Mm -hmm. place of Chinobe Awuzie, uh, their starting corner. So you've got a couple of pieces who have really, you know, picked up the the slack for the departing guys. They're still figuring some things out. I mean, Cam Taylor-Britt's got a starting job there. He's been up and down some really good moments, though, as well from him. But you've got a young core there that is starting to blossom as the season goes along. They're on an upwards trajectory. The 49ers currently on a downwards trajectory. But before we get to the matchup itself, I want to ask you, about something because a lot of people did have a lot of comments on Brock Purdy's performance this past weekend prior and after the, now we find out uh, that he has a concussion on that play. What did you kind of take away from it? Did you, Were you impressed? I mean, the stat line might not be as hot given he has two interceptions on it, but were you impressed? What What did you kind of take away from Purdy's performance overall?
2: I thought he had a pretty good game. Definitely good enough to allow them to win that football game for sure. I think that he definitely left a couple plays on the field but overall he took advantage of most things. He had a couple of really great throws. The one to George Kittle specifically um, over the middle of the field was a very very good throw on a seam. He had a skinny post to Ayuk that was a terrific throw. He had a couple of deep in outs deep ins, excuse me, one to Juan yeah, one to Juwan Jennings and then he had another one to Brandon Ayuk as well that were also terrific throws. Like I really thought he had a he had a good game. Um, I I think that a lot of it got skewed once he made those big mistakes in the end and the fact that they were trailing and there was a prevailing narrative that this was something you wanted to see from him, it then skewed the entire perception of how he played in that game. But when you look at the circumstance, when you look at the fact that the Niners didn't protect too great, when you look at the fact that, you know, they had a Brian Flores had a really good coverage and defensive plan against them. I think when you take all of that and you look at how the quarterback played, like it's hard for me to sit here and tell you that Brock Purdy played poorly. I think that you are reaching for something if you're saying he played poorly in that game because seriously, it was a good bounce back performance until that concussive shot he took, especially because he did not play well versus the Browns. He was pretty bad in that game.
4: Right. And I mean, that's what you point to, the bounce back performance. I thought it was a really solid performance. And I uh, had a phone call with Marco after the game. He just asked me, point blank, what were your thoughts on Brock? And this was without me really watching the film. I thought that he had a good game outside of maybe four or five decisions. And again, four or five decisions on a span of 30 dropbacks is pretty high. But a lot of those decisions were in the span after we find out he was concussed. The one really poor decision that I thought that he had early in the game was in the first drive of the second half, where it's second and thirteen and he chooses to take the sack while trying to make hero play rolling to his left, almost fumbles it, but obviously right. Down. And then he gets I the thought,
2: intentional grounding.
4: Exactly. I thought he could have checked that one down to McCaffrey, but he wanted to make uh try and uh you know extend the play for a deeper shot, ends up getting sacked I think that that was the lone play early on that I really had a great, like, you know, I had something to say about it. That there were other plays you you left it on the field, but nothing egregious before that one where I thought that was a, a pure drive killer and then obviously the 49ers punt on that one. But apart mm-hmm. from that, a majority of Purdy's mistakes come on the, you know, come on the last two drives um, where obviously you have the interception to Jawan Jennings or on a ball intended for Jawan Jennings. And then the one where he's trying to hit McLeod on the, on the deep end that uh, Camp Bynum intercepts again, you know, those are two, two balls where he's definitely going to wish he hadn't thrown them for sure. And I mean, you, you definitely, you hope for a different outcome, but in this one, I mean, if you look at it, the 49ers fumbled on their first drive where they were in scoring range. They were at the 15 yard line for Minnesota. They fumble then you right. talk about a missed field goal near the red zone for the 49ers that's 10 points 7 to 10 points or sorry 6 to 10 points that you leave on the board right there then you talk about you driving again um and then the two interceptions that occur you know inside Minnesota territory four missed scoring opportunities potentially in this one and you don't even need the four you you talk about one one swing and the 49ers you know are are in this game I thought that there were a lot of issues in this one, and Purdy's play at the end could be concerning, but I thought overall he played a very solid game, especially when you consider the what you, what you talked about with pressure. I mean, I thought he was under pressure a lot, and I thought he maneuvered through it well.
2: You know what's funny? I thought he played better in the end of this game than he did versus the Browns, but in the Browns he had a successful result in the end of that game versus this one he happened to take a chance that he shouldn't have taken you, they still had 30-something seconds left in the ballgame. He didn't have to go for it all on that play, and that was just him trying to do a little bit too much. But you look at the Browns game at the end, it was very choppy for them to get up. He almost field. got picked off on it, the first play Right, that the price. first yeah. throw, he throws it right to Greg Newsome. He nearly gets picked off. He was erratic that entire game. He missed throws even on that drive. It felt like the drive that Jimmy G took the 49ers on in 2019 for Chase McLaughlin to make the 50-yard kick back in the day when they lost that first game at home to seattle in 2019 it was very choppy he did get them down the field to ultimately kick the field goal but he didn't do it in a smooth way at all and he nearly gave the ball away twice the vikings drive was much smoother he was getting the ball out of his hands they were slowly but surely matriculating the ball down the field and he just had one decision that i feel like maybe man he could have probably taken that back but you know what That sort of aggression and instinct that he plays on, sometimes you live with the good, you live with the bad. I think people forget that he's also a young quarterback. He is still basically a rookie quarterback. He has not even started 17 games, which encompasses a full season in the NFL yet. So there's a lot for him to learn as well. And frankly, I, I feel like the issue I have is whether he plays good or whether he plays bad, I feel like we are forced to have an absolute discourse about him every week. And that's not possible. In my opinion, it's impossible for me to come and tell you every week. It's either he's a franchise quarterback or see he's the weak link. They can't get it done with him. Like I'm not going to be, we're not going to definitively have answers after every game about him. We need to go through a process of watching him play. And at the end of the day, he's going to prove based on what results he ultimately achieves at the end of the year, what he's really capable of. I, I think part of some of the frustration with the discourse around him. And I think part of what causes people to either write him off too much after yesterday's game, or maybe put him on too high a pedestal after the first five games is that people are trying to be conclusive on where to place him and 10 games or 12 games into his career. Frankly, that's not, that's impossible to do.
4: No, I, I do agree with that. It's a good assessment overall. And I mean that's the issue when you have a young quarterback you know it's going to be fluctuating play and you also understand good quarterbacks will have bad games that's not the that's not the worry it's just over a, a over a bigger span of games how consistent can you be and can you show up in the big moments when it matters that's why you know there is a little bit of an overreaction and I mean in, in general it's warranted because these are games where you do hope to win, but there is going to be a little bit of an overreaction when one of these one of these situations you end up not winning you know, uh, at the end of the game. And Purdy hasn't really been tested as much at the end uh, in his young career because the 49ers are generally winning these games. And so, yeah, there is going to be, and you hope that it changes the next time. But I don't think Purdy was the, the only issue for the 49ers in this one. What other issues did you highlight from the 49ers' performance in this game?
2: Yeah, I, I think there were obviously a host of defensive issues, starting with Steve Wilkes. I, I don't want to beat the dead horse. I've seen enough people talk about the all-out blitz. That wasn't like cover zero, but it was basically an all-out blitz against a seven-man protection too. They got him. They max protected in it. So I, I don't think that that's – for me, That that call, okay, we've talked about it. We understand it was a terrible call. They have acknowledged it. All of those things are there. Here's my issue with that game for the 49ers defense. Kirk Cousins was basically Peyton Manning in that game. If you go back and watch the game and watch how Kirk Cousins plays, he's calling the game at the line of scrimmage. And he's basically every time the Niners have a defense called, whether they're in a pressure look, whether they're going to roll out of the pressure look and play cover three, whether they're going to just straight up play spot drop cover three, Kirk Cousins knew what defense they were in. He had a check to be able to get in favorable matchup and a favorable route concept against that defense and he had an ability to get the ball out of his hands and I think that was actually the biggest issue with the 49ers defense yes we expect the defensive line to play better but the Vikings have a sneakily pretty good pass blocking offensive line and they held up just enough in that game for Kirk Cousins to get the ball out of the hand out of his hands yes we would like the corners to play better specifically Mooney Ward though I think putting him in that situation is completely unfair regardless of if he needed to make that play or not and I'm talking about the 60 yard touchdown to Jordan Addison and I so I think the players can play better overall but I think schematically it was a moment where a play caller and a quarterback seemingly had every answer for what the 49ers defense was doing. And they were calling their defense at the line of scrimmage. I mean, the best is the last third down. He throws the fade to KJ Osborne and KJ Osborne drops it. They're in an eight-man pressure look, the line of scrimmage. Cousins checks out and he knows that they're dropping into cover three and he checks the backside's isolated X to throw the fade. And they're in an eight-man pressure look and Hufunga actually bluffs. like They're trying to get him to think that they're going to bring pressure again and cousins knows that they're dropping straight into cover three and he's able to you know uh change the backside right into a fade and then osborne didn't come up with it it was a great throw so just all of those kinds of things i think were were kind of the more scarier thing because i think that there's a blueprint out against the 49ers defense at least there was a blueprint for these guys to me it was an extension of what happened in the rams game McVeigh and Stafford had a plan to go five yards at a time against this defense, get the ball out of his hands, let your veteran quarterback control the entire game and make throw after throw from tightly contested pockets. O'Connell and uh, Cousins took that to another level. I mean, they had a, I think they had a will safety blitz off the the, uh, offensive strength. They had that blitz screened up and Cousins is checking into a screen right into the blitz. And they bring the Blitz and Cousins is dropping into Cam Akers for what, like a 20, 30-yard gain? So I think there was a lot of stuff like that. I don't think it was just like, yeah, Dre Greenlaw missed a few tackles. Warner missed a few tackles. They had had uncharacteristic games. But it all stems to me from the fact that the Vikings had a schematic edge that allowed them to play faster. And that edge was the fact that Cousins and O'Connell had an answer for every single thing the 49ers defense did. And that's why they couldn't get off the field even at the end of the game. Greg Joseph had to miss the kick for them to get that ball back.
4: No, I mean, I think what you bring up overall, there's a lot of different things to dissect. One, I mean, obviously the number one one in this game was the cover zero blitz. Kyle Shanahan admitted it after the game. He admitted it today. He said that that is something that we cannot do just because of the situation. Totally fine with cover zero blitzes. You just cannot let that happen with 16 seconds left. It was just questionable because there's zero timeouts left. If Minnesota right. gets the completion, they might not be able to even get a playoff going forward. So you could get it, you know, if Jordan Addison catches the ball and a safety tackles him where he was caught, there's no there's no true answer if the Vikings even get a playoff going forward. And so, you know, it's just the situation where you can't allow something like that to happen. I mean, especially because also
2: also, because if you look at the previous play in the sequence, this is where it even baffles me even more. They wasted nine seconds because Cousins throws Cousins throws a checkdown um, to Alexander Madison. Alexander Madison gets tackled in the middle of the field, and by the time they give the ball back to the ref and reline up, they waste nine seconds. And I'm thinking yeah. in my head, like, okay, they basically by throwing that checkdown, Cousins is essentially thrown, you know, the clock away. Because even if they snap it at 16 seconds. And they convert this third and four, like realistically, what's gonna happen. And next thing I know, these guys bring out an all-out pressure, and Mooney Ward is stuck there. And yeah, like again, he should have caught that football, but you should never be putting him in that situation. Totally agree with you. My bad for interrupting, but no, I mean it just baffles me. That call just baffles me.
4: And it's 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 more baffling that it came against, you know, a a a a, what do you call it, a guy who has as much you know experience as he does it, it that's where you know it starts to baffle you as to why that ends up occurring so it's an unfortunate one and one unfortunately that costs the 49ers seven points in a game where you really couldn't afford to lose seven points with the way it was going. And so that was an issue, but overall, I mean, I think this is the first time where you've seen the defense truly, truly get tested and that they got, they got scored on in five consecutive possessions and sure it was only 22 to 17 because the 49ers defense was able to hold Minnesota to a couple of field goals. And you know, you were able to, you were able to limit the, the damage from being really, really, really bad on some of those, but scoring getting scored on five consecutive times. That's, that's a concern for sure. And in the way that they were able to push the ball, but I also think credit has to go to Kirk Cousins. This was one of the best games I've ever seen Kirk Cousins play. And I haven't watched every Kirk Cousins game by any means, but this was a very, very good game. When you talk about managing the game, this is the way that you can use it in a positive outlook because Kirk Cousins just delivered the ball where he was supposed to deliver it with blitzes coming with pressure coming did not allow the pressure to get there, still had some ample time to throw. His time for throw was like 2.6, I I believe 2.61 seconds, lower than what it usually is. But, you know, he's taking what the defense gave him, took the deep shots, took the intermediate shots, took the short ones, and was able to consistently move the chains. It was a good job by Kirk Cousins there. I think the defense, you do have some questions there into how can you get back to the early portion where you know you're suffocating them, but you're also disguising your looking looks to where you're helping out your cornerbacks. And more importantly, your defensive line can get home against some of these more elite offensive linemen. Uh, I, I don't know if Minnesota, you can consider them elite. I do think they're a top 10 pass blocking unit for sure. You got two really good tackles in Darisaw and uh, Brian O'Neill out there. You've got some solid pieces on that offensive line that were clearly able to, you know, help them out. You chipped effectively with TJ Hawkinson. You were able to utilize the matchups correctly when the 49ers were blitzing. So I thought that you had a good game plan.
2: Yeah, I and that's what it comes down to me. like I think part of it is everybody's, oh, where's the defensive line? where's this? Where's that? They had a plan for every single thing the 49ers defense does. and we haven't seen another team really have that kind of plan and have the defense look like this. Ex- other than la oh Jesus, other than last year, oh, what up, Brian? other than last year in K- versus Kansas City. They literally had an answer for everything the Niners were doing. And it's different because you brought up Cousins, right? Cousins is playing excellent. Cousins was playing like a prime Peyton Manning. He was coming to the line of scrimmage. He was calling out every single thing the Niners defense was doing. And sure, you expect the defensive line, you expect every single one of the players to play better. My argument is I felt like the players were constantly put in poor positions to be able to succeed. And I felt like this was a coaching situation where Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins Basically, get walked up to Steve Wilkes, and they dominated him. This he got dominated in this game, and to me, that's what this all stems from. They got out coached, they got out game plan, um, they got out schemed. They just literally got their butts handed to them from that standpoint. And sure, sometimes these great players can bail you out when that kind of thing happens, or sometimes Kirk Cousins just plays perfect football, and next thing you know. The Vikings score on five straight possessions, like you mentioned, and every single one of those possessions include a drive that's five plays or longer. So it's not like they were just living off of big plays. So, yeah.
4: I mean, yeah, there there is a good portion of it that goes wrong defensively. I mean, you talk offensively. There was a question here that um, essentially asking, what's the criticism for Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes? We talked about Steve Wilkes. Did you have any criticism for Kyle Shanahan after this one in the way that he managed this game?
2: Yeah, I had two things. One, I was baffled by him making the decision, excuse me, with 16 seconds left and kind of just throwing Jake Moody with shaky confidence out there to kick the 55 yard field goal. Now, Moody proved him right, good for him by making that kick, but it was kind of baffling on all the chords because it felt like fourth and four. Why aren't you confident in your offense and your quarterback to go get that? Especially when. A field goal doesn't really make a material difference in the result at that point because it was either down eight or down five, which means that you still needed a touchdown on your next position to win the game regardless. And so therefore, um, like what, what would you have been able to ultimately accomplish by kicking that field goal other than the fact that you reduced the lead by a marginal amount? So I I didn't understand that decision. And then the other one that was just confusing to me was, yeah, he's the head coach. You've got to be able to veto that call on Steve Wilkes and manage the game there. Like you can't have that call at that point in the game, especially for what a momentum shift it was. You talked about the early momentum shift, which was the CMC fumble in the red zone where, you know, hey, they just got an interception from Mooney Ward and CMC fumbles in the red zone, which then allows them because I think if they had scored points on that drive, it would have changed perspective on that. But but there was another big momentum shift because they scored right before they gave the Vikings the ball, and they had a good chance right. to get into half with the game still very much in hand and in the balance, and they killed that momentum with that play call. And to me, again, Shanahan's the head coach. This isn't, oh, Steve Wilkes called something. Steve Wilkes shouldn't be able to call something without Shanahan knowing or being in charge of it that's the reality of his role as the head coach and therefore he deserves criticism there so those are the two things for me it was i was dude i i'm still baffled i can't understand the logic of going for not going for it on that fourth and four. no like, i mean was he scared that they wouldn't yeah. get a stop and the vikings would kick another field goal and kick the field goal to keep kick him out of the game
4: i i think it's he felt confident in his defense. There was, I believe, 13 minutes left at that portion of the game where you're down eight points where you can kick the field goal. I can understand the logic as to why you go for it. Even if it's fourth and six at the Minnesota 37, you need eight points. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it's an eight point lead. You're, you you want to win the game. You can score and then score again. But regardless, the point is you need a touchdown. That's the most important part of where you've got to score my assumption was that shanahan believed that you know with 13 minutes left he was at least going to get the ball maybe one or two more times in order to have that scoring opportunity and so he probably put trust in his defense the court qu- the question is do you trust your kicker who missed a yeah, short goal what... earlier moody proved him right which is a good thing but that's yeah it's a, a, a high level the situation there
2: that's what he's saying in the comments. How about try to instill confidence in your kicker? But that's confusing if you're trying to instill confidence in your kicker because he put the offense on the field and then with 16 seconds left in the play clock decided, no, never mind, just throw my kicker out there. And again, Moody bailed him out in that situation. But it wasn't like they looked, he gave Moody a very confident, like we're going to believe in the kicker in this situation. It was, uh, I don't really believe in my offense. Okay, kicker, go out there and kick it. And he didn't look confident when he threw the kicker out either. He just had yeah. him go out there and kick it.
4: Yeah. No. I mean, there were a lot, of, a lot of different things that went on there. I mean, I, I think that you can you can point to Shanahan for those two things, the Wilkes mistake, which I wonder now. Does he? You know, does does he look to have maybe a little more input on especially in those short situ- uh, in in those two minute drills on exactly what goes on defensively? Because we've heard from Javon Hargrave who went on Richard Sherman's podcast a while back. That Shanahan actually has a good amount of input in the defensive adjustments at halftime. He'll talk with Wilkes and they'll talk about defensive adjustments because he's that dialed into that side of the football as well. It's not just offense. I wonder if now he's you know, listening in and tr- having input on some of the calls in these important situations as well.
2: I, I think he sh- he has to be, right? I mean, we talked about this, I think you and I even together, ad nauseum over the offseason. This isn't Steve Wilk's defense. This isn't Robert Sala's. It's not D'Amico's. It's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Shanahan was the one who wanted the wide nine in, in, in the front with this defense. Shanahan was the one who wanted to get this Seattle-style scheme and adjust the front by adding the wide nine to it. This is all his philosophically what he wants to be as a defense. And so that's where... If they're struggling to implement it, he might be the best voice in terms of fixing that. And again, as his job as the head coach is to do that. It's not just to manage the offense. It's to manage the football team. And right now, if the defense isn't performing, that also falls on him. I, I think too much times we credit head coaches for their specialty. So we say, oh, if he's an offensive guy, therefore like he doesn't get any credit for having a good defense. Like To me, the 49ers... Kyle Shanahan deserves credit that the 49ers have had a great defense the last four years. They've invested in it. They've invested in the right coaches. They've invested in the right scheme. And that investment starts with him. He's the head coach. So he deserves credit for that. And if they're not playing well on defense, he also deserves blame for it. I'm not going to sit here and just put it on Wilkes, Though he needs to call a better game, there is a level of Shanahan should also be able to stop him from calling an all-out blitz. With 16 seconds, no timeouts left, with the ball deep, decently deep, reasonably deep in the Vikings' territory. That's a nuts call.
4: I, I just, as soon as I saw it, I just was reminiscent of that Greg Williams call. You know, I I, I watched that Monday night game where oh,
2: the Jets Raiders Henry Ruggs the Jets
4: Raiders. I watched that Monday night game and I was just laughing. I forget exactly, at 2021 maybe, I forget exactly the year, but that call was ridiculous, and I was just hashtag tank the entire time because that's exactly what I felt the Jets were doing. But, yeah, that call was interesting. Let's move off, though, of this game. Let's go on to the, the more important one now at hand against the Cincinnati Bengals. We talked about the quarterback situation, Brock Purdy concussion. Let's first start with let's say he doesn't play. What do you expect from the offense in Sam Donald?
2: I expect them to try and look the same. Like, I don't think, I think Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold skill set wise are similar enough in terms of how they play that I don't think there's going to be a drastic difference in how they call the game for Sam Darnold versus how they call the game for Brock Purdy. I think most of us believe Brock Purdy is just flat out better than Sam Darnold. So, therefore, there should be a drop off just in the caliber of playing quarterback. But I don't know that the 49ers offense is going to look a heck of a lot different with Sam Donald under center. The biggest question with him, which is the question of his career and the story of his career, will be can he do the thing Brock Purdy has done excellent in 49ers victories, which is take care of the football? Because when you're playing at home against Cincinnati, a team with a little bit of momentum, a team with some talent, Super Bowl talent, Super Bowl aspirations, Coming off of a very confident win because they won at Seattle, which is a difficult place to win regardless of whether Seattle is good or bad. Losing the turnover battle is obviously the number one way to be able to put yourself in a bad position in that football game. And again, the 49ers, when they have won football games with Brock Purdy, it's because he's taking care of the football. The Achilles heel of Sam Darnold is, will he turn it over? And that's going to be the big question mark for that entire game. You're muted, Rohan. Yeah,
4: I yeah. just realized, but we're good. Um, you talk about Sam John, and you're right. It's in a way I, – I know we talk about the differences between the quarterbacks, but the ideology is the same, and that's why Brock Purdy has been successful because the ideology for a 49ers quarterback is taking care of the football. Do your role, take care of the football, and the rest comes into place. Brock Purdy has done that for the most part, right? We've only seen him throw – interceptions now in two games this one where he threw two interceptions and you can argue that if he doesn't throw these interceptions the 49ers have a chance to score and win the game but overall if the 49ers take care of the football they're able to win they've only lost this the the point differential, or sorry the the turnover differential just once this year that was this past game where they had three turnovers uh minnesota and Kirk cousins had just one and so that's been a formula for them for a while. I think Sam Donald, you've got to be able to protect the football. Unfortunately, that's something he hasn't done in the past. You wonder though, with more open targets with hopefully, you know, similar protection to what he's experienced in the past. You hope that those issues don't arise, but he's going up against a defensive coordinator and Lou Anarumo who likes to throw different looks, who likes to present, you know, different blitzes and things like that against opposing offenses. And I, I, I feel like he's going to try and, you know, make Sam Donald uncomfortable. maybe even dial up more blitzes than expected um, because it's his first action of the year.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. And by the way, Alana McCollum, you're absolutely right. That was my mistake in the comments. Um, I, yeah, they did play in Cincinnati. They didn't play in Seattle. That's my mm-hmm. mistake. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to clarify that. Um, but I agree with you. I think there will be an element of creativity, but I also think there's an element of, look, the 49ers offensive line with Trent Williams is fine. Without Trent Williams, it's just bad. Um, they have a, He's a Hall of Fame player. He's a special player. He makes a lot of things a lot better on their offensive line. Banks is okay. And then McKivitt's, Burford, and Brendel so far this year have just been kind not of been below Michael. average. Yeah. They have not been ideal. And so you expect that to improve with more snaps of the offensive line playing together. But in the case that Trent Williams can't play, this is a tough game because both Hendrickson and Hubbard are pretty good players and pretty good pass rushers. DJ Reader in the middle is very good. Jermaine Pratt, criminally underrated. So to me, this is a bad matchup in a lot of ways if they are missing those players and if Sam Darnold is forced to play. Um... Because the Bengals' defense will force Sam Darnold to have to earn every single yard that this offense is going to get. And in the case that Sam Darnold has to be patient, he has to take care of the football, will he be able to play that kind of football game? We haven't really seen him do that in his career. And so it's a weird matchup because the way I see this game, and I was talking to somebody else about this, in a lot of ways, regardless of whether Darnold or Purdy plays, preferably if Purdy plays, I feel like the four, I would pick the 49ers to win in most circumstances. Just with them coming off of two losses, with what the talent I know they have, with the expectations and the kind of team that I expect them to be, and we all expect them to be, I would expect that from I would expect the 49ers to win this week. If I looked at Cincinnati, isolated them looked at the two wins they're coming off of, looked at the fact that they're coming off of their bye another week for Burrow to get healthy, looked at how they've looked out of their bye the last couple of years, I would be picking Cincinnati to win somewhat regardless of who they were playing. So it's funny how the planets aligned and these two teams are playing each other because in a lot of ways I think there's a bit of momentum where both teams are somewhat urgent and desperate for a win. In Cincinnati's case, their division is almost running away from them, but it's also still right there with them already having a loss to Cleveland and then with them being behind both Pittsburgh and uh, uh, Baltimore in the standings with Cleveland right behind them and then them having a loss to Cleveland. And then in the 49ers case, yeah, the division got a lot closer with Seattle, but they're also coming off of two losses. going coming into Having three straight losses and going into their bye would be catastrophic because it would basically lose all the momentum that they had when they started 5-0. and oh. So I think both teams are somewhat desperate for a win. Both teams are somewhat in need for a win. And it's just funny that they both have to play each other because I think otherwise circumstances, both teams are very capable of winning this week.
4: Right. And I mean, that's another thing. You talked about it. Cincinnati's coming off their bye. They, they have another week now to get things settled down after their slower start. And I think this matchup is intriguing number one thing that I think I'll point to is Cincinnati's defensive line versus this offensive line. Because not only do they have Trey Hendrickson, who in the three wins has 20 pressures, and I believe it's two sacks or two and a half sacks in those three wins. He's been impactful, and he's been on that right side where you're going to face Colton McKibbitts. And so I think that that's something that you point to. Sam Hubbard's been a solid player as well on the other side. DJ Reader's been one of the more underrated nose tackles um, kind of in the league. For a long time. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's a classic Cincinnati signing a good player there. But you've got a couple of good players. Even BJ Hill hasn't been bad this year um, on the interior for the Cincinnati Bengals either. So you've got a solid, solid core of uh, defensive linemen against an offensive line where you're really hoping Trent Williams comes back for this because where Cincinnati has struggled up until last week was the run game. Even in the win two weeks ago against Arizona where they gave up 30, uh, or they won 24 30, sorry, 34 20 um it was a game where they gave up a good amount on the ground and it wasn't just you know rondale moore had a couple of jet sweeps that went for a good amount of uh, yards but james connor also had a good game their backup amari Dimarcato also had you know solid yards per average it was an overall solid game for arizona a team which was one-dimensional in that one with the ground and so you you do hope the run game can kind of accelerate in this one, whereas it hasn't accelerated as much for the 49ers in the last two outings. Overall, you've kind of had to get out in space with screens to kind of get that game kind of going. And so that's where you're hoping Trent Williams returns. I think that that could be a big difference maker uh, in this one. But the Bengals, you know, everything's trending up for them right now. As for the 49ers, it seems like things continue to trend down. You won't have Debo Samuel in this one. Trent Williams did not practice today, although that's expected in Purdy right now. You don't know what's going to happen with him.
2: Yeah, the thing with the running rushing defense is, I do think schematically they're sound enough to come up with a decent enough plan to go against the Forty ers Um, they did do well against Seattle a week ago, I think, yeah. or two weeks ago. I think they kept them with three yards of carry. Seattle yeah, isn't the was, greatest rushing offense. Yeah, yeah, Seattle isn't the greatest rushing offense. They're middle of the road in the NFL, but Ken Walker is a good player. And to me, when I watched that game. Um, now it's been a little while ago and I did, I I didn't watch it back in depthly. I watched it amongst many in that weekend. I, I did feel like they, they, there was a concerted effort to stop Ken Walker, who is a very good player. And so I wouldn't be shocked if they take their chances just as Cleveland did. And just as Minnesota did in some ways, which is just take their chances on the outside against the Niners receivers playing tight man coverage and sell out a little bit to stop the run. Because as well as Brock Purdy played last week, and you and I agreed that he played well, that's back-to-back losses for the 49ers facing defenses who in different schematic ways kind of married themselves to that particular plan against the 49ers. And that plan of taking risks, getting negative plays, seemed to have worked two times in a row. That's not necessarily Rumo's style, but I wouldn't be shocked if he embraces it a little bit this week, especially without Debo Samuel there with Christian McCaffrey a little bit banged up. And then if Trent Williams is not there, it just it causes so many problems for the number of things that he's able to overcome. And obviously it makes it difficult for the Niners to run the football because he's the one guy you really want to run the football behind. Uh, the other four guys aren't really the best guys to run the football behind. What are you going to
4: want to see from the 49ers defense in this one? Against, you know, a resurgent Bengals offense. What do you want them to see or what do you want them to prove in the bounce back?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because the Niners defense has actually probably been at their best, even though they're primarily a zone coverage defense when they've actually played a lot, some press man coverage this year. They did it against Dallas. They really embraced getting up and challenging Dallas's receivers. The Bengals just aren't a team you want to play man coverage against because Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, if they see single high man coverage. I mean, Traverius, Ward knows what rookie Jamar Chase did to him oh, in yeah. Kansas City all that time ago when that was kind of the matchup in that game. So the Niners obviously have to specifically try and play zone and try and play too high. And the question with Cincinnati is, can they run the football? To me, that's all that this game is going to come down to because Cincinnati's offense, because they spread out, they don't get condensed. They put in the shotgun so much. They struggle to be able to run the football. Same issues with Buffalo. They don't have the greatest personnel. They have a couple of good runs from the shotgun, but it's hard when you're not condensed and when you're not under center with your quarterback to be able to consistently run the football. We've seen that with the 49ers' defense, there seems to be an issue where they're not even able to get themselves into opportunities where their defensive line can truly just pin their ears back and rush the passer, which is what they're built for. They haven't been able to stop the run, though the numbers aren't so bad. The numbers are kind of middle of the road with their run defense. We've seen that teams have been able to be committed to the run throughout, right? That was the thing with the Cleveland game. Cleveland was able to get off 34 rush attempts and usually against the 49ers, the thing that they do is they demoralize your commitment to the run. They make you once they make you that's how they do it. Right. They make you one sided. They don't let you commit to the run. And then they let their defensive line suffocate you. And that's ball game. That's their style. What well, teams have committed and stuck with the run. The Rams did it. The Vikings did it. And um, Cleveland did it. The question right. to me and what this football game is going to come down to is whether Cincinnati can do that. Because if Cincinnati has a commitment and success running the football, then they will win this football game in my mind because they will be successful on offense against the 49ers defense. But if the 49ers defense are able to fix these ailing run, run defense issues that we've seen have existed since preseason, and they're able to stop the run, especially not a great rushing offense in Cincinnati's, then I think when they make them one-dimensional, they will be able to hold up enough in the back end, they will be able to get enough pressure on Burrow, and they will be able to win this football game by doing just enough on offense and being able to protect themselves on defense against that offense.
4: And that's something where I question, you know, um, are they, are the Cincinnati Bengals going to be able to do that? Because when you talk about it, they haven't gotten over a hundred yards on the ground the entire year. And the issue has been, even if they're, you know, even if it's a close game, even if they're not down by much, they've been able to, you know, they've been able to, run the or sorry they've been able to stay ahead but not necessarily commit to the run and Mm -hmm. the closest I believe they've gotten to 100 yards was against Arizona and that was a game where they were up by two scores but they haven't committed to the run all year and so do you wonder is there going to be some sort of shift in we uh, between pre-buy and post-buy to where the Cincinnati Bengals realize they're going to start you know running the football more because if they don't then you're right. The 49ers can you know, find a way to have that suffocation plan that they've done before. And they've seen a similar offense before. It's not like they haven't faced the Bengals before. Um, right. they, they've seen this offense before, and they've been able to shut it down even when the Bengals' offense was at a high back in, what was it, 2021. Um, and it's going to cause some big-time players to make big-time plays, something that wasn't the case as, as much in this Vikings game. But you're right. The commitment to the run is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm just yet to see the precedent for it from the Bengals this year.
2: Yeah, the Bengals are awful at running the football. I think they're bottom two in the NFL, if I want to say correctly, average like 69 or seven. No, they average 70 yards a game rushing. Um, and so I, it's it, they're an awful team running the football. And so I, I would think that the Niners should have success in this department. And that's why this football game comes down to that, in my opinion. Because if Cincinnati is able to run the football, then I don't think the Niners are going to be able to hold up in the back end. Because if they're able to knock off three yards, two yards on first down, four yards on first down, and get them into second and third and manageable, then it becomes very hard to pressure Burrow. Then you got to take some more chances by manning up their receivers, and you do not want to play man coverage against Jamar Chase. Mooney Ward knows how that went the last time he tried to do it um, when they played each other Jamar Chase's rookie year, that 2021 season in Arrowhead. And so for me, that it, the game is really going to come down to that because I think the Niners' offense is going to be able to do just enough. But to me, the real matchup of this game is how well will the Niners' defense slow down the Bengals' offense? Because if they have a normal Niners' defense game, which means that they limit the points, which they've done this year regardless of what the yards have been. They limited the points against Cleveland. They limited the points against Minnesota. If they're able to limit the points. And limit the yardage and make it kind of a grinded out grimy kind of slow football game that plays right into what the 49ers need to do and as long as Sam Darnold doesn't turn the ball over too much in that kind of a game, or in the case of Brock Purdy comes back he continues to take care of the football they'll be okay.
4: Yeah, I mean, I agree. And this game's going to be important because the 49ers, they're entering their bye after this one. You've got Trevor Lawrence coming up after, you know, the, the week after. So it's going to be an important turnaround for the Niners. Let's shy away, though, real quick from this game. Let's go to the trade deadline because that's coming up soon. If anything, what do you want the 49ers to do with the deadline?
2: Yeah, I think it's hard to look at their situation and feel like, man, I want them to make a lot of moves. Um and that's because I think that there is a responsibility for them as much as you would like them to go all in this year with being able to roll over the cap to be able to sign some other players and with um them being able to obviously hold on to picks, given that so much of their roster is highly paid now, draft picks become premium because that's younger, cheaper, more talented players. And those are the guys that they need to fill out their roster with. I thought the Randy Gregory move was very good, and he's essentially been their best pass rusher, not named Nick Bosa, the last two games, which is awesome. Um, Really good move. The question is, earlier in the season, I suggested the Jalen Johnson move. When you look at how Jalen Johnson has played this year, it is not in the realm of what I was suggesting. He might have outpriced himself out of the 49ers range. Exactly. I was thinking you trade a fourth for Jalen Johnson, and then he walks in free agency, and you get a comp fourth for him. Similar to Emmanuel Sanders. That was what I that was my mindset. Jalen Johnson has played at a level this year that you're not trading a fourth round pick for Jalen Johnson. He's going for a second round pick. Whether the Niners can afford that and then letting him walk, perhaps they take the third comp on it. I don't know if that necessarily makes a hundred percent of sense for them from a value standpoint, unless they feel like Jalen Johnson would change things and help them get to the Super Bowl. Now there's not a lot of places the Niners can make additions. The weak spots of this team like backup tight end it's hard to find one of those guys at this point um offensive linemen you would love for them to get a Garrett Bowles something like that but again a lot of offensive line plays those five guys playing well and playing well together and integrating an offensive lineman mid-season at a premium position like right tackle when he's played left tackle his entire career is a tough ask for a team that's making a Super Bowl run so as much as there are moves that I would like them to make I don't know what feels I don't know that much more than staying put or making a smaller move for a defensive lineman, similar to getting an Omenihu, which I wouldn't even call that a small move, or Jordan Willis, something like that, I think, or for a defensive back, to me, that's probably what makes sense. Uh, I would love them to make a bigger move, but realistically, yeah, I don't know that anything beyond that is more feasible.
4: I think uh, you're you're talking in the right scope, and it's not only that the 49ers have to balance going all in this year. They they do have to balance their draft compensation in years future because they finally have a first-round pick, but they also need to utilize that first-round pick likely on an offensive tackle, be it the left or the right side, because Mm -hmm. Trent Williams is not going to be here for a while, and you definitely need an upgrade at right tackle. In addition, this is a good tackle class. You're probably going to be able to get a tackle in the first round and one that you could potentially plug and play to start in we uh in, in year one, you know. But that's a guy where the 49ers may have to look. They might even need two tackles in this draft. And so that's something where you might want to prioritize keeping your first or even your first and second round pick. I think there are good moves point. you could make. And I think that, you know, the things that we've been seeing is that they've been eyeing corner help slot corner help, or even outside corner help, because guess what? You can move the north to the inside. So I do think that there is value to be had, but it might not be at the highest trajectory that fans might be expecting. Because Pat Sertana is going to cost multiple first-round picks if he's even on the board? That's not going to be realistic. That's impossible, right? Because it's not only that you're going to have to pay, for example, for Jalen Johnson. It's not only that you're going to have to pay the draft capital. You also need to pay them a hefty contract extension if you're going to justify moving a second right. round. Right. Exactly. To, or in order you let to him play. walk
2: and you get a third comp, third round comp for him. That's like, you know, about a good 40, 50 picks. It's a, picks. Pick. It's a yeah. good 40, 50 picks after what you're giving up. Like, that's bad value. That's business I don't expect the 49ers to do.
4: And so that's why a guy who I think KP had floated out earlier this week is a Dante Jackson from Carolina. A guy like that who, who has inside-outside flexibility. It's a guy who maybe a smaller name, but you do wonder how quickly, you know, they can acclimate. Dante Jackson might be a little easier because he's from Carolina, a guy who's played in Wilkes' scheme before. But, you know, the issue is some of these moves that you potentially want the 49ers to fix – The main worry for me is these are moves that you could have predicted in the off season may not have panned out. Talk about Isaiah Oliver. I mean, that was a move that not a lot of people, you know, were very high on. He's a guy who had maybe played better, definitely better at the end of his Atlanta career compared to his beginning where he wasn't that great when he moved to the slot, but that's a move. Colton McKibbitt's, you know, not even trying to sign a, a, Backup right tackle to compete or even drafting one when you had the opportunity to in that third round. You know, there were other options. These are moves that you could have predicted may have hurt the 49ers, and now they're they're left with trade deadline. You know, you may not have the opportunity because offensive linemen don't grow on trees. It's very hard to trade for one, especially at the deadline to acclimate them in. Um, so yeah, the 49ers are left with potentially what you said. And something that I've kind of been hinting at is you're, you might not see the splash move. The splash move, in my opinion, was Gregory. That's the guy mm-hmm. who I think that they 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 feel that they are going to be comfortable with. I'm interested to see if they try and go for a defensive lineman on team control, um, so that you can have him for next year. Kind of, he takes the O'Manahue trajectory in that you develop him this year, maybe see him more playing time as the year goes along. But then he's your rotational piece next year because Gregory likely isn't here in 2024.
2: Right. And I I think that that, that's what makes sense, right? Those are the kinds of moves that make sense, and I think that's what ultimately ends up happening. Whether those smaller moves counteract, because obviously I think part of what's happening right now and part of the rush and the anticipation with what are the Niners are going to do is, yeah, Philadelphia just made a kick-ass move. Kevin Byard's an awesome safety. He's an all-pro safety. Um, I don't think he's as good as he was a couple years ago, but he's still like one of the best safeties in the sport. And he's going to be great for them in their system, their scheme. He's better than Chauncey Gardner-Johnson was. And he's going to be a perfect fit. So, yeah, they made a Super Bowl-level move. I don't think the Niners are going to be able to make a move in response to that that's of that magnitude. It didn't. They didn't have the glove fit that kept in Bayard being available, the Eagles having the right kind of assets available, their team being in the perfect position to integrate Bayard, all of that. It kind of was a perfect move perfect thing for Philadelphia. I don't know that the Niners have that situation. Ultimately, they're going to have to do what they do best, which is go bargain shopping, find the best value for them, and then squeeze the most amount of juice from the pulp of that orange because they do that very well. And that's what they're going to have to continue to do. Unfortunately, it won't be flashy, but if the guy turns out to be effective, if if they're able to make enough incremental moves, perhaps those incremental moves will get them over the top.
4: Yeah, you do wonder whether that can happen or not. And I think right now, in a way, the Niners right now aren't getting as much love. You know, they got a ton of love in the in the early portion when they're 5-0. and You're now off two losses, especially to the teams that you are. You know, they're not uh, elite upper echelon playoff contenders. But I think not, the Niners have a better roster than the last two losses have indicated. And so I think they could be comfortable rolling with the team that they have. But I also would definitely not be surprised if they look to make at least one deadline move, smaller move, but a deadline move to potentially help the team now or in the future.
2: Outside Echo Chamber has a good name, Carl Lawson. That That's a good name, I think. Again, I don't know that that's necessarily a move that makes sense because, again, they got Gregory. And what are you giving up for Lawson for what he's contributing? You have to think <laughs> right. about that in your head, right? Like, it's not just about getting Lawson for getting Lawson. And I think when they gave up when they essentially got Gregory for free, I think they feel like they robbed a bank there and they feel like, okay, our defensive line is somewhat set. And if you look at how Gregory's looked in the last two games, as his role increases, they're right. Gregory looks awesome. He looks like a big upgrade from Drake Jackson. Huge upgrade.
4: And I mean, I agree with that and. That you know you do lead to discussions there. I think Lawson he's an interesting guy. The the one question I do have with potentially adding an upper echelon defensive player, defensive end, really. I I, I like the intrigue of Danielle Hunter, and I think you would definitely find a role of a guy like Danielle Hunter on this. That's, team. A, I like that's a
2: game changer, right? Right. That that's the, a one of one.
4: The one question though that I have is do you think the value would be worth it? Not only in having to pay, you know, a first round pick or second round pick, likely a second for what Hunter might provide. I just wonder how many snaps is a guy like Daniel Hunter going to see on this team? Because I feel like the 49ers came into this deadline understanding that their guy was Randy Gregory. That was the guy who they were going to go and get as their splash guy, even if the package didn't indicate it because of how much he was getting paid. I think that that was the guy who, Who they kind of felt was going to be their main piece that they could, you know, get him more reps. I don't know if they can go ahead and get another, you know, premier defensive lineman because I just don't know if there's enough room to play them. Right.
2: And they won't do that. You're bringing up a great point. These guys have egos. They're people too. They want the Randy Gregory move to shine because it makes them shine. People want to think that they don't have those egos, but they're human beings, of course. Why would you trade for Randy Gregory? That move gives you so much credit. Then all of a sudden trade for somebody that's going to overplay. You want everybody to be like, see John Lynch stole Randy Gregory, blah, 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 stole Randy Gregory. You know what I mean? And so you're a hundred percent right about that. And I think that's why that move won't be a defensive lineman. It'll likely be a mid tier defensive back. That'll probably add depth to the room. And I think that, we will turn out to be thankful that whoever they traded for, they traded for them because I think the depth of this football team is not as good as we originally thought. And I think that people would be surprised how integral a depth piece could be to acquire in the trade deadline, even if he's an unheralded person.
4: No, definitely trade deadline though. That's coming up very soon. Before that, we've got you know week eight, the 49ers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. The 49ers opened as 5.5 point favorites. That's obviously gonna drop with the Brock Purdy news. But Vish, it was a fun show getting to break down the matchup, what we saw from last week, Sam Darnold potentially playing, as well as what we could see from the deadline. Any last thoughts before we head on out?
2: No, I I'm, I've got some anxiety now for the game. I was pretty I was really bummed. I thought they would make a national Monday night statement against the Vikings. I don't have too much respect for the Vikings, maybe too little respect. And so it was very sad because up till the very end of the game, I thought the Niners were going to win and then they lost. And so it was pretty disappointing. I don't know what's going to happen this week, but definitely if Sam Darnold plays, I'm not looking forward to my stomach having to do the roller coasters every time he drops back, knowing that the ball could go up for grabs at any point.
4: That is going to be an interesting one for sure. Um, Sam Donald, you are going to ruin or you're going to make a lot of people's Sunday afternoons in this one. But Vish, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in on this Wednesday evening. Everybody in the chat, we appreciate all of you guys bringing in your insight and also staying tuned for the entire show. We'll be back soon, hopefully with some more content. And until then, see you next time.
2: For sure. You're the man, Roy.